Welcome to Return to Oz Minute. We're the podcast that's analyzing the 1985 film Return to Oz, one Elton John-inspired minute at a time. I'm Tierney Steele. And I'm Mike Carlucci. And we're still joined by... Lane Colonin. Back again, one more day. We're glad you're back for today. It's an exciting day. It is. There's a lot in this minute. Whereas last minute we just got exposition. This time there's exciting movement. Yes. Lots of movement in minute 30, which starts with Dorothy exclaiming, This was the Yellow Brick Road. And it ends 60 seconds later with her looking at an abandoned city. And in between, a lot of running. (laughs) As all 80s movies... It has a montage. Of course. Well, it's either a montage or she's a really, really, really fast runner. Yeah. I I don't read this as a montage, and it gives me a lot of questions about The Wizard of Oz. Um, She takes off running along the yellow brick road, shouting what's happened. Belita's running after her, and I think that's a real chicken. I know there was some debate on, like, because, you know, some puppets look more real than others, but I think that's a real chicken running along. That looks like a real chicken to me. I I have no way to prove it, but it, thank you. It feels right, right? <laughs> um, yeah. We get some ominous cawing. We get handheld shots of the trees. And I feel very nervous for Feruza Balk trying to run on this broken brick. And I wonder how many times she fell while filming this, because this is bad. Very dangerous. <laughs> I have a feeling that it may not have been her running the whole time, which is why we get that long shot of just her legs and feet running, and you don't see her. But they may have brought in another kid. What? Actually, she does have uh, doubles. Maybe that's what they use them for. And also, um, I don't know if you know this bit of trivia, but apparently those black shoes just absolutely killed her feet during filming. So this was like a real sacrifice day on set. <laughs> Wearing uncomfortable shoes while running on a pile of rocks. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, what could go wrong? Yeah, that sounds like a time when you just go, hey, could you get the stunt double in? That'd really be great. I really need to work on my schoolwork, you know? I'm still a kid. Yeah. I love that the, uh, I have the note, please note. At the end of the minute, when she's coming out, she is running on the smooth grass next to oh, yeah. the yellow brick road. And I, my note literally was like, because of ankles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, they figured it out by then. You know, you know, you could just run next to it. That's fine. Close enough. We get the idea. <laughs> yeah, I, I bet that she ran that first bit right after she spoke. And then she ran at the end, but that the rest of it was stunt double. Because they were, they were either, they, either they sped it up or she was running extremely fast. Yeah. And that's hard because like either would be, you know, it's not crazy sped up, but I could see that just like the tiniest tweak Mm -hmm. to make her go faster. (laughs) And the tiniest tweak when she's running and you break your ankle. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but she makes it. Without broken ankles, she's taken off, and I'm very confused because, yeah, I did not read this as a montage. I read this as, yeah, she's been running a while. I mean, I don't think this is a real-time minute, but now I'm questioning everything. How long did it take her to get to the Emerald City from Munchkinland in The Wizard of Oz? 
Was that all, like, one afternoon? Okay, so she sets out. If we assume she arrives at about the same time as it is in Kansas. So it's probably just after, just after lunch, right? You know, one good dog deserves another. So... Wait, she left Kansas... That was like an overnight journey. Oh, oh yeah. She was good. So she arrives mm-hmm. in Oz in the morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Skips breakfast to Belina's disgust. <laughs> and hobbits everywhere. Yes. All the breakfast. But... Shocking. Yeah, it, it's, it's like lunchtime and then it's still... The sun's still up when she reaches the Emerald City. Yeah, we don't have any indication that she slept. Nope. Oh, I was on Dorothy's first trip to oh, Oz. Oh, Okay. I was comparing it to the other. Oh, okay. So her first trip, I don't know what time of day it's supposed to be. It's so, When the twister hits. It's so hard to tell because it's black and white. It is. I mean, traditionally it would happen, you know, late afternoon, evening. That's when tornadoes generally come. I can say that. I was, I'm from a tornado state. So. <laughs> And there are, there are some munchkins that are waking up during the, the singing and dancing, right? That's oh, true. yeah, like the kids are. Yeah. So maybe it was an overnight journey then, too. Mm-hmm. Okay. They don't really stop. Like, do they, they don't camp overnight. Like, they just keep going. Well, yeah, except with the poppies. Well, I mean, they sleep for a few minutes, but that's... Well, I think it's more than a few minutes. They sleep long enough that the Wicked Witch thinks that she's she's got them. I always read the poppies as being, you know, at least like six, seven hours, if not overnight. Oh, no. I always read that as pretty qu- Like, Glinda realizes right away that something's gone wrong. Mm. Because isn't someone... Because they're kind of like saying as they're falling asleep, like, oh, no, this is terrible. And I thought that's like what Glinda heard and then saves them with the snow. Mm. Wow, Wizard of Oz doesn't make any more sense than this movie. Nope. It's really not fair for this movie to get picked on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it would be a lot better if it's... I, I think it is longer in the book, uh, the, the poppy scene. Mm-hmm. Um, that might be why I'm thinking of it. But, but it really would make sense if it's longer because uh, Glenda would... In order for the Scarecrow to really be what, amping up enough Glenda points, I don't know. Unless she's just always hanging out, you'd think it would be a while before she realizes, oh, they haven't gotten to Oz yet. Mm-hmm. And then, she, you know, then she, she goes around looking and is like, oh, there's the scarecrow. Why is he covered in No, she's not there. She's the magical... She makes it snow from afar. Glinda's not, like, in the poppy field. Well, she uses her little birds and, you know, picks up that the scarecrow and Dorothy are in distress. The Tin Man rusts almost immediately, which yeah, which he would probably have to be out for a little bit, right? I guess before he his joints really started freezing up. Yeah, because she no, she the, gave him a full oiling just before. Yeah, but he's not frozen because of how long he's been out there. He freezes because the snow, and then it is in his joints and everything. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just Dorothy and the Cowardly Lion get impacted by the poppies. Tin Man and Scarecrow are fine. Yes. And Glinda hears them yelling. Yes. And uses her magic and the magic of movies <laughs> to be in a big bubble over them. But yeah, I never read that as long. But even so, I mean, that was a long journey. I felt like compared to in this movie. Yeah. I mean, there there are whole adventures that happen on the journey. Here, it's it's literally one minute 
of movie time. We don't we don't see any adventures. She doesn't run into anything. You know, there's nothing in her way anymore. She doesn't even stop to show Belina all the fun stuff she did on the way before. Do you wonder if maybe when they cut away from, she's also still yelling over her shoulder like, Don't pick apples from these trees! <laughs> That's where the Tin Man was! <laughs> kind of continuing her uh, exposition. exposition ways. <laughs> well, I, I, I always thought what Dorothy's doing here is like what people do now with, with video games. She's doing a speed run. She already knows. She doesn't. She knows she doesn't need to do. That's true. All the side quests. She doesn't need to do the the challenge at the apple orchard, or you know, find. Maybe there's, uh, you know, if this if this were a video game, there'd be another quest at the Tin Man's village. Like, okay, you'd look around, you'd see, oh, there's another oil can. Maybe there's some bolts. I'll pick these up. Maybe I find the Tin Man again. Maybe you know, there'd be there'd be more side places each time that she'd have to stop. Like, she doesn't stop to say, well, this is the farm that I met the Scarecrow. He was my greatest friend. Now he's the King of Oz, or the mayor of the Emerald City. It's... There's some controversy yeah. there. <laughs> um, yeah, she's going to the Emerald City, and these rocks know it too. So she's still being watched by the eyes. The eyes have it, and they report back to the unseen bad guy. Who says Dorothy and Belina won't get past someone named Mombi? And while we've actually discussed her already this week and several times already this podcast, <laughs> who who did we think this was? I mean, I don't remember a time before I had seen this movie, so I don't know what I thought was going on at this point. But I mean, not that many people had read the sequels to The Wizard of Oz. Like, that recently. Although, I mean, I guess Mombi's a big enough character they expected you would know. I mean, I I hadn't read Return to Oz before I saw the movie, and I just did not know what to expect. I definitely did not expect that she was going to be a princess. At all. (laughs) At all. Yeah, because she's in cahoots with the bad guys. Exactly. Or they're using her. We don't know if she's in cahoots or if they just know if this is like a she-lob situation. (laughs) It's just like, well, they won't get past her. (laughs) Um, but either way, I mean, that's not, yeah, princess is not what springs to mind. Well, they don't call her princess. We know. No, just Mombi. Yeah, your worship. You know, they could call her anything. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, but they won't get past Mombi sounds like, ooh, this is, this is, this is not good. We don't know who this is, but. I have a feeling I assumed it was a warrior or something. So I assumed it was some someone who was going to physically stop them. Like, they wouldn't be able to make it past this person, this yeah. checkpoint, something. Well, and yeah, and just re-watching this minute before we started recording, I realized the way he says, she's like, she's heading to Emerald City, don't worry, they won't get past Mombi. I was kind of surprised, I mean, I wasn't surprised because I know the movie, whatever, that they see the Emerald City at the end of this minute. Because it felt like the way he said that, Mombi should be before the Emerald City. I don't know. It's just like the word choice. It's like, oh, oh, okay, so they made it. Was that it? Where was Mombi? (laughs) Yeah, that's totally true. Yeah, and the, uh, this is one of the, the few times recently it's right in line with the script. Okay. We're back on track. Yes. Although the characters uh, are referred to as Face, who is the one that talks, and Voice, who is Your Majesty. 
Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Rockface's name is Face? Yes. Face. Like, like Nick Jr. Face? <laughs> <gasps> oh, this just got so much better. Oh, I'm going to have fun with this on the internet. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. What have I been calling him? Rockface or whatever? So I, I guess... I shouldn't be too surprised by that information, but until you said it, I had not thought of that connection. And I'm very glad that we're back on Nick Jr. with our podcast of our 1985 movie. Am I the only one that thought of the Dwight Schultz character on the A-Team? I think he was face. Yeah, you're the... Uh, Reg- I didn't go there. I, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Reginald Barkley? No. Face? Oh! I know the name Reginald Barkley, but I didn't know he was called. Yeah, he, he played he played face on the A team. Apologies, A team fans, if I've just named the wrong character. But I think it was the Dwight Schultz character played face. I don't think I've ever actually watched an episode of the A team. Nope. But my father is very enamored of the "I love it when a plan comes together" line. I pity you, fools. I know that one too, but yeah, <laughs> I know the concept of the A team. And I watch, um, oh god, never mind. Actually, I don't think it's related, but all of a sudden I was like, I watch the Mike Tyson mystery thing, but now that I'm thinking about it, I don't think that has anything to do with the A-Team. Never mind. It doesn't, but I'm gonna have to look that up. (laughs) Oh, it's fantastically weird. It's fantastic. I'm done. That's it. Um, I hope that's the right... I mean, you'll find it if you search that. I don't know if that's the exact title, but yeah. There's, there's only one cartoon Mike Tyson mystery show, okay? <laughs> it can't be better with what I have in my mind, which is Mike Tyson dressed like Sherlock Holmes. No, he wears a tracksuit. Um, I'll, I'll have to find a good clip. I wonder if they ever reference this movie. It's a weird enough show. I mean, they might. I've clearly reached the end of my notes for this minute. Then. Oh. <laughs> Whoops. Here we do get the second... <laughs> Talk about a tribute to the Planet of the Apes. A second, we blew it up moment. Uh, Dorothy sees just the rundown city. She's like, oh man. And her little face of betrayal, sadness. I thought only the road was destroyed. Of course, once I get to the city, everything will be fine. And they'll, they'll give me another makeover. And <laughs> the Tin Man will come out of the buffing room. And everything will be good. Well, and you know what though? It's not funny because... She doesn't know what's happened to her friends. And I, I called it an abandoned city in my intro. You can tell on that last second when you look at the city, like something is not right in the state of the Emerald City, Mark. Um, like, it, it, is one of those roofs caved in? It's really hard to tell. I left it too small. It certainly looks but, like it. It certainly it looks like, you know, the glass on the top is broken in and it, it looked very derelict. Yeah, and I don't think she had processed the fact that, like, all of Munchkinland was gone. So this is, like, her second day of psychological trauma in a row. (laughs) And it started off so nice. She came back, got free lunch, or breakfast, and then lunch. She's got a second lunch pail with her. She did bring that on the journey. Well, she knows not to pick the apples, so she knows she needs to bring provisions. Very important. You gotta snack while you're doing lots of running. Yeah. I mean, first the cardio, then the recovery tonight. Exactly. Oh, I hate to leave her in this state. This is so depressing at the end. Um, oh, I forgot to give a shout out last minute, and I almost forgot to do it this minute, too, of the London Symphony Orchestra just going to town on the score. 
And sadly, I don't know who was doing the violin solo last minute, but I'm sure being a member of the London Symphony Orchestra in 1985, they were very good. <laughs> Most certainly. Yes. Oh boy. I I love I I love this score period. I'm sorry, I'm going to keep bringing it up, but I love them in general and I just have to I'm now thinking of cuz I was like, well maybe I could try and like Google who was in it that year and maybe that would tell me. And I'm like, nah, this is silly. I'm just going to tell you guys, ah, that's who recorded it and they're great. Um, but it was a few years ago at the Oscars, the first time the orchestra wasn't at the theater. They were like down oh, the I road. Remember that. Yeah. And Twitter was a big thing. It was like free the orchestra. <laughs> that was so great. They look so sad all by themselves. They don't get to be a part of the party. That's no fun. I just loved the like internet campaign of like someone go free them. <laughs> They're trapped in the room. <laughs> and so now, of course, what I'm picturing, because, of course, the orchestra would have been trapped in a room while recording the score for this movie. Indeed. Or just uh, in, you know, Albert Hall. That's also possible. Yeah. Would they have recorded in the hall? I would have thought that would be an acoustic nightmare uh, compared to... Well, I can I can say my, my day job, I work for the Boston Symphony, and they recently recorded the score for the... Not the movie by Marky Mark about the Boston Marathon, but a documentary about the Boston Marathon bombing, and they did record it at Symphony Hall. I know very well, because I mean, there were plenty of emails saying, do not go in the hall on this day. We are recording. <laughs> <laughs> well it makes sense because like they record their concerts and stuff yeah. so I, it's not like oh it's impossible I can't believe that but I'm just like when you see the behind the scenes of like John Williams conducting away they're always in that room with like the the padding on the walls and then the screen with the movie that he's going along with and I don't know I thought that's how they always did it for movies but maybe it just kind of depends on who's conducting who's there what the setup is I'll have to take a look. I wonder if it says in the credits. We'll find out. <laughs> Speaking of credits, I think we've reached the credits of this episode. All right. Well, if you have theories on who Mom... No, we know who Mombi is. Let's not be silly. <laughs> uh, but you should still come talk to us in our Facebook listeners group, The Flying Sofa. Um, or if you don't feel ready for that commitment, fine. Just like our Facebook page, uh, Oz Minute. And we're on Twitter at OzMinute as well. You can always find everything about the podcast at ReturnToOzMinute.com or WeOgTogPog.com. And speaking of... <laughs> Weog... Tog... Heog! You guys have the advantage of being able to see each other when you're about to talk. <laughs>